man, what are you guys so happy about? Because we're safe. How am I supposed to follow any of this? Sydney, how many months ago was it that you wouldn't have been up here singing like that? Ooh, 16. So, so not real long. I mean, it feels long. That's great. Yeah. But man, I got goosebumps sitting back there listening to you, and then just listening to the praise before that. This is one of the hypest CR meetings I've been to in a long time. <laughs> Awesome. Amen. Is my mic? I think so. You guys hear me? Yeah. Man, this is awesome. This is awesome. Well, I'm glad to be here. Uh, now, I asked you guys when I got up here, why are you so happy? And somebody said, because we're saved. Is that? I My dad sent me down years ago because uh, I was an addict. Oh, by the way, I'm a West. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I struggle with everything. Um, I was a drug addict for many, many years. I uh, was sexually abused when I was a little kid. I've uh, got all kinds of issues still. Um, and so I'm glad to be here. But uh, I remember my dad sitting me down uh, before I became a Christian years ago and, and sitting across the table from me he said, I'm going to share with you the most powerful thing in the world. And I was like, okay. The most powerful thing in the universe, actually, I think was the exact wording. And he said, I'm going to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he walked me through this Bible study, and I remember that word gospel sticking out of my, uh, my mind. It's such a powerful word, isn't it? The word gospel. Who knows what it means? Good news. Good news. Good news? Okay. It also means truth. It also means truth. Um, and, you know, there's more than one gospel in the world, right? There's the gospel of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, which is the actual truth, the actual good news. Uh, but then there's also this, this, these other Gospels that we find out in the world uh, that aren't true, but they are passed off and pawned off on us as if they are. For instance, what does the world say the good life is? What's the good life according to the world? You want to know how you can find out the answer to that? Go down to Walmart and walk through the checkout aisle. And look at the magazines. And look at what's on the magazine covers and the checkout aisle in any store around here. You're going to see uh, on Men's Fitness Magazine, you're going to see like how to get rock hard abs. How to get that perfect beach body. You're going to see on GQ Magazine uh, for men how to have the best style. We're going to attract a lot of women. All these magazines, money, sex, power, depending on what age you are. You know, if you're a teeny bop, you're going to see Davey Justin Bieber is the good life. <laughs> One Direction. Uh, some of you ladies who are older than teeny boppers still probably would think that would be the good life, but it's not. Uh, you know, if you're a pothead, High Times Magazine, you know, all that good stuff, uh, which plenty of us are familiar with in here. Um, but there's all these different kind of false narratives that are out there. And the Bible says that the world teaches us this false gospel, and it's believed by those who are perishing. It says that they, they perish because they refuse to love the truth. And for years and years of my life, I had bought into this false gospel that fulfillment and life and, and the, the best stuff in life is found in all this garbage that the world passes off as what's best. And I nearly killed myself with the lifestyle that went along with that. And I'm not alone. Especially at a CR meeting. I know a lot of us have done that. 
And did you know that uh, the Bible is also full of stories about guys who have done the same thing? And what I want to do with you tonight uh, is look through uh, a little story uh, that this guy wrote, a little succinct story, and uh, talk about how he kind of viewed the world and then how uh, it impacted my life later on. Uh, when I encountered this guy. But if you've got a Bible or a phone, uh, look up Psalm 73 real quick. I don't know if we can get it on the screen, uh, but if we can't, let me share this with you. This guy's kind of a minor character we're going to talk about. Who has heard of Asaph? Who's heard of the name Asaph? Raise your hand real high. Okay. Not a whole lot of people in the room. Asaph was actually a worship leader in uh, the Jewish community back when King David was alive. So thousands of years ago, he was a, a Hebrew worship leader. And he was the guy who would be out in front of all these people as they were walking to the temple uh, back in the Old Testament times. He would be leading the songs. And so he was a guy that a lot of people would have known who he was. He had thousands of people who would have known his name. He looked like he had it all together because he was out in front. And I think a lot of times people think preachers or people that get up and share the Bible have it all together. Well, we don't. We're just as screwed up as anybody else. Uh, and this guy was too. And he actually wrote about a dozen psalms. Um, and psalms are like psalms, like we have our hymnal. Well, for the Hebrews, their worship and psalm book was the, the, the psalms. And so what I'm going to read you is actually a psalm that he wrote about his life. And it starts out in Psalm 73, verse 1. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, just so you know, that's the end of his story. The way Hebrews told stories is they would begin with the end of the story, and then they would tell you how they got to the end of the story, and then they would repeat the end of the story. How many of you guys have seen the movie Sixth Sense? Memento. Okay, that's, that's kind of like a Hebrew form of storytelling. The way we tell stories is different. In our culture, we got the introduction, the, the move up, you know, to the climax, and then down to the resolution again. Well, this is different. So this is the end of the story. Surely God is good to, the, to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So the conclusion is God is good to those who are pure in heart. So just keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Then he says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant and the prosperity of the wicked. What did Asaph want? He wanted what all these people around him had that he didn't have. Right? When you're walking through the checkout aisle, what are these magazines hoping to get you to do? They want to get you to want something. Or they're assuming you already want something. And you need to buy their magazine to figure out how you're going to get whatever it is you want. It may be that perfect beach body. It may be that relationship. It may be, you know, whatever, any number of things. They want you, okay? How does Satan get at us? Through our wants. He gets at us through our desires. How many of you guys have read the story in the book of Genesis about Adam and Eve? God says, I'm going to put you in this perfect world where there's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no nothing bad. There's just one thing you can't do. I'm going to give you all these other trees in the garden to eat, even the tree of life. It's going to give you eternal life. You're never, you're never going to have any problems with death or any of that stuff because you're going to eat this stuff and it's going to be fine. There's just one thing you can't do. 
I don't want you to eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree that's called the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along, and what does he do? He tells Eve, oh, but that's the one you really, what? Want. Another word we use to describe that is desire. The word desire. Satan guided Eve through her desires. He said, no, if you eat that, you're going to become like God. You're not going to have to listen to him. Who? He, he shouldn't tell you what to do. Besides, he's lying to you anyway. What you really want, what you really desire, is to eat that. Then you can be God, right? Then Adam comes along and listens to her and does that. And what happens? The world falls into darkness. And God brings these curses into what was a perfect world. And generation after generation after generation is attacked in the exact same way with Satan coming in and tempting us and saying, no, 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 no. Here's what you really want. Here's what you desire. Okay? Same thing is happening here. Asaph is saying, yeah, I, I read my Bible. I know what God says. I know my greatest desire should be to serve Him and honor Him and follow Him. But guess what? I want what these other people have. I should have that, and I don't. And so let's see what happens. Verse 4, he's going to talk more now about uh, what he sees these people having that he doesn't have. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imagines have no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. And look at this. They have fans. They have followers. It says, therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how could God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. He's saying, man, I see these people around me. Here I am. I'm trying to follow God. I'm even leading the worship procession to follow God, leading other people to follow God. And then all these people around me have all this stuff that I don't have, that I deserve, because I'm the one that's doing right. They don't have any problems. They don't have any sickness in their family. They don't have any marital struggles. They got all this money. They got all this land. They got all these possessions. And here I am. I'm just a bumpkin worship leader being the good boy. I don't have any of this stuff. And so he gets bitter toward God. His heart gets bitter. This is an internal struggle that this guy's having. He's not sharing this with anybody. So let me ask you, is your meditation right now in life, is it selfish? Like when you're thinking, what do I not have? Is it selfish and deluded? Just your personal thoughts? Like when you're thinking about your life and where you're at? Because Asaph's problem and my problem in my life has been when I get that way. And I just, I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about what I have to give. Asaph's not thinking about all these people that he's blessing with his life. He's not thinking of what an honor it is to be able to lead these people in worship to a holy God. Who else gets to do that? He's not thinking about the position that God has put him in, the influence that he has, the, the ability he has to bless. He's just thinking about what he doesn't have, that he thinks he deserves because he's so great. 
And his thinking is selfish and deluded. And he's so focused on it, it becomes this obsession that just poisons his heart. He keeps going on. He says in verse 13, look at this. It's a pity party. Have you ever had one of these? I have. He says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. You ever see that kid at Walmart in the toy aisle? He doesn't get what he wants. And he falls down on the floor and starts kicking and screaming, I want it, I want it! You're thinking, why didn't his mom pick him up and spank his butt right here in the store? That's what I'd do if it were my kid, you know? That's what you're thinking. Yeah, you're thinking. That's what Asaph is doing to God. Here he is a grown man, having a little fit in the toy aisle. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. He's treating God like a vending machine. He goes up and he says, man, I put in some worship. Push that button. I see what I want. I put in some worship. I put in some prayer. I put in some Bible reading. I put in some church attendance. I'm pushing the buttons. And then the thing that I want is coming out and it gets stuck on the glass. What do you do to a vending machine when the thing you want gets stuck on the glass? <laughs> That's how he's treating God right now. It's like God's my vending machine. Give me what I want. My desire. My desire. But then he says in verse 15, for the first time in verse 15, we see he's not a completely self-centered jerk. Because his, his mind begins to think of others here. Because he says, and this is the change, if I had spoken out like that, it would have betrayed your children. And so that's how we know this was all an internal struggle for him. And this was a struggle this guy had for years. This psalm is told over the course, like he's telling the story of his life. This is something this dude struggled with for a long time, privately. And so even though it looked like he was this great man of God for much of his life, this is what he was thinking inside. And so he says, if I'd spoken out like this, I wouldn't betray your children. I was a man of influence. I kept this inside because at least I still cared. And he says in 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And then here's the big move in verse 17. Till what? Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Now this is the fulcrum verse. This is, the, this is where everything changes for Asaph. He sees these wicked people and he's so jealous of what they have and he's so angry that he's not getting what he wants to fulfill him. But then he finally realizes they're going to have to stand before God someday. All these wicked people that have all this stuff. And if they don't repent and turn to God, it's not going to be a good day for them. Do I want that? And so what cured Asaph of his struggle with his desire, very important you get this, it was not his getting his desires. It was his coming to an understanding of the significance of his relationship with God. When you've got God, you don't need all this other stuff. And that's what he came to learn. And so the rest of the psalm 
basically talks about this changed perspective that he has. And uh, I'll just read the end. Skip down to 27. And uh, it says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near to God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell all your deeds. It's one of the coolest psalms. My favorite psalm, by far, my favorite psalm. This guy has this conversion in his life. But he almost wrecked it. When I was 12 years old, uh, I went back to regular school at Central Arkansas Christian. And I told a little snippet of the story uh, yesterday. I'm going to tell a little more detail uh, now. Um, okay, it was my first game day. My mom loves this story. Uh, <laughs> it was my first game day, and I was going to get to wear my football jersey uh, as a junior high, eighth grade player at CAC. And so I went and put on my uh, t-shirt, and I put on my football jersey, and then I grabbed my new jeans out of the closet, because I just had all this, uh, this shopping for school, and I slipped on these new jeans, and they were a little bit tight, but you know, I just kind of sucked it up and sucked it in and, and buttoned them and, uh, and went on my way with my shirt tucked in and my, and my football jersey on. And I got to school and I walk in the front door and I go up to my locker and it was weird, like nobody knew who I was. I was the new kid at the school. I had never been there, I didn't hardly know anybody. Um, and I'm walking down the hall and immediately this, this group of people in the hallway see me and I see them kind of murmuring as I'm walking by. I walk up to my locker and I put it in. I see one guy kind of tiptoe over and all of them are watching and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, hey, I just wanted to tell you I really like your jeans. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I just got these. I appreciate it. You know? And he walks back and they all laugh and I'm just like, oh man, I don't, I don't know what, what's up with that. But I was walking, I mean, every period, first period, second period, third period, fourth period, lunch, fifth period, all day long, people are coming up to me and like, hey man, nice jeans. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. I know these are so cool. Everybody's telling me how cool my jeans are. And I'm like, you know, by the afternoon, some older women came up to me. You know, like some 13-year-olds. so cool, these are the best jeans ever, and I get down to the field house, there's 60 junior high guys in there all changing, and I walk up to my locker and pull my pants down to put on my game pants, and I see this big tag on the inside that says CHIC Chick, inside of these jeans, and I'm like, what is that? And the guy next to me goes, you mean you didn't know? And everybody in the locker room starts laughing so hard. And I'm like, it was a huge commotion, like it was so loud in there, and they were like, what do you I didn't know. He picks it up and shows me a real big across the back in cursive writing. It says C-H-I-C chick across the rear end. <laughs> Those were my mom's jeans that she accidentally put in the closet. Came our grandwomen's jeans. And that was bad enough. But they started singing, I don't know if you guys remember in the early 90s, the commercial for those jeans that came our brand. The theme song was You Made Me Feel. <laughs> 
funny now, but at the time it wasn't, because what they didn't know, and what, if you were here yesterday, um, I grew up getting sexually abused and molested by some neighborhood kids in, uh, in my neighborhood as a young guy, and it went on for many years, and it was pretty severe, and uh, I already felt like there was just a whole lot wrong with me, like before that, and so, you know, to go from being homeschooled to going back to regular school, uh, and then to have that experience, um, like it just, dude, it made me snap. And I, I grew up in church. Uh, I had been taught the Bible. My parents didn't know about any of this garbage that had happened to me, but I was carrying so much darkness around inside of me um, that I just, man, I just, I, I just snapped. And I was so an outcast. And guys, junior high is hard anyway. Like, it's just hard. That's such a weird, awkward age. Um, it's just tough, but to have something like that happen and then to like be known school-wide uh, for something like that and to just incessantly get picked on, um, dude, it was it was awful. And uh, you know, I, I thought about bringing a gun to school, and I'm not trying to be funny, like I really did, and and shooting some of them. Uh, and so I understand like some of these incidents we have called online and other places, the mindset that goes behind that because that's where I was. Uh, I'm glad I didn't do that. Instead, what I did do is I looked around at all of the people around me that had what I didn't want, or didn't have, that had, they had what I wanted but didn't have, acceptance. They had uh, people that were giving them pats on the back instead of tearing them down. They had uh, just girlfriends, you know, stuff like that. Uh, they had athletic abilities that I didn't have. And guess what I started doing? I went from being this kid who'd grown up in a Christian home trying to live out these teachings of Jesus to this kid who was trying to structure my life. Well, not trying. I structured my life around getting all this stuff that I didn't have, but I wanted. And so I completely changed. My behavior, my attitude, everything changed. And I started messing around with drugs. Uh, I started messing around with girls. I started acting out in class. Uh, I started uh, breaking stuff, vandalism, you know, just stuff to make people think I was cool and, and doing stuff to make people think, you know, I'm fine. Uh, and I also liked people thinking I was kind of crazy because there was a cool factor in that. And so I just did all this outlandish stuff just so people would like me because nobody did. And uh, I eventually gained acceptance at high school. I became a pretty popular kid. I was, uh, I was one of the kids people liked running around with because, you know, life is interesting uh, when you're with somebody that'll do anything. And I eventually got kicked out of school because of that when I was 17. That's how we ended up in Searcy. Uh, my parents moved me away uh, from the people they thought were the bad influence, uh, which really, I was the bad influence. And I had gone to a private Church of Christ high school, so we moved up next to Harding University, and guess where a lot of my Church of Christ high school friends ended up going to college, Harding University. Uh, so not the best plan uh, to get me away from those guys. Um, and so, you know, here I am, this bitter, angry, selfish, drug-addicted 
18 or 19 year old, eventually go to college over at UCA, up for drug use, go from just smoking weed and drinking beer to you know powders and uh, mess around with acid in high school, but just turn that up, acid, ecstasy, cocaine, anything I get my hands on. Um, and just, it was just, substance, like that, that whole period of time is just kind of this blur. Um, I went to college for radio, television, and film uh, because I had friends that worked in the radio industry. Uh, if you guys remember Lick 1063, one of the DJs there was my buddy. I used to run around with him and I really looked up to him um, because he was able to do whatever he wanted. I idolized guys uh, when I was a teenager like Polly Shore and some of these MTV BJs, which you guys probably don't even know who Polly Shore was. He was cool one time, he's not anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I remember watching a stand-up routine with him when I was like 16 and, and he was doing stand-up at this college and he was up there talking about smoking weed. And he just had this massive throng of thousands of college students just like, yeah, you're so cool. You know, he was talking about what he was going to do with them after, like the after parties, all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, what a life. That's so awesome. That's what I want. And so between influences like that and bands and my friend John that worked at Lick and uh, just all this other stuff, that's what made me want to get into the radio business was that whole lifestyle. So remember, I structured my life around what? Gaining acceptance, getting the stuff that I wanted. That's why I got into the radio business. And um, that's what I did for several years. I got my first job in radio in Memphis at a station called 941 Buzz. Um, it was like being in a movie. I had my own limo service. I got tickets to anything I wanted to. I got backstage with bands. I had free drinks at all the bars on Beale Street that I went to. I had women. I had all this, all the stuff I envisioned in my head wanting. Guess what? I got it. And I thought that I was somebody there for a while. And that was so much fun for about six months. And you know what happened to me after about six months? I realized none of this stuff is filling me up. I'm just as empty as ever. In fact, I feel more empty now than ever. <coughs> and so I started drinking and using more to medicate just this pain like it was so terrible. I ended up getting so dysfunctional that I couldn't keep a job. I lost the job in Memphis. I, I lost the job uh, in Little Rock after I moved to Little Rock. Um, I worked for a couple more stations down there, and, and uh, I mentioned yesterday to you guys, I ended up working at a drag strip, Little Rock Dragway, called the races. And that's where I was. If you ever went there, I was a guy on the microphone, probably. And I would make a couple hundred bucks, and I would take the $200 cash that I would get from the Friday and Saturday night at the races, I would go back to this little house that I was living in. I would set five bucks aside for food per week. I lived burger a day at the Burger King dollar menu. The rest of the money, cigarettes and drugs. I didn't pay my rent. I didn't pay my water bill. My water was shut off. I didn't pay my electricity bill. I didn't pay any other bill 
I put five bucks aside for burgers, one a day, and the rest for cigarettes and drugs. I budgeted very carefully. Uh, my wife would be proud if it wasn't for that. <laughs> Since I don't budget now, she does everything. Um, guys, it, I, was, I was really feeling terrible about myself in that situation. I just had nothing. And this went on for a little bit. And uh, I was sitting in my living room one day. I had an eviction notice. I think it was the second one sitting on my table. I had gotten my water shut off. I had gotten notices that my lights were being shut off, my sewer was shut off, uh, you know, trash, all that stuff. I was just on the verge of being homeless. And I just had no motivation to go. I, had, I was fully capable of going and getting a job and taking care of myself. But I just didn't want to get up off the couch. I had zero motivation to do that instead. I was so depressed. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, if this is all there is to life, I don't want to live. And I had struggled with the belief in God. Like, even though I went to church when I was a little kid and tried to live out the teachings and the stuff that I learned, I still struggled, like, with belief, just intellectually. And I still just didn't know if there was a God. But I remember thinking on the couch that day, if there's a God and there's more to life than this, maybe life is worth living. But if there's not, then, man, it's time to go. And this is so weird. Because it wasn't like an audible voice. The best way I can describe it is a knowledge of a voice, like in my heart. This voice tells me, go get the Bible out of your bedroom. And this was odd. This wasn't, I wasn't raised like God speaks to you, kind of like I didn't learn all that. And the people I knew that said, God told me this or God told me that, I just thought they were crazy. And a lot of them were. Um, <laughs> God told me I should marry this man. Uh, and he was a scumbag. No, I don't think it was God. Anyway, um, I was like, wow, this is weird. Okay. And so I get up and I go in my bedroom and I get this Bible that my parents had bought me. It was in a box, dust-covered box, because I never opened it. My parents had bought me this Bible for my senior gift from high school. And I was so angry at the time for that because I had friends that were getting cars, they were going on trips to Cancun, and, you know, getting all this cool stuff. I got a Bible. I used it occasionally to rip pages out to roll joints, so it had some torn pages in there. That's all I'd used it for. I hadn't opened it and read it. But this knowledge of this voice told me to get this thing. So I go get this Bible and I bring it back into my living room and I plop it down on my coffee table. And for the first time, I prayed. And I said, God? I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are, I'm going to open up this Bible and I want you to speak to me. But if you don't, I'm going to go kill myself because there's nothing else to live for. And 
guess what I opened the Bible to? Let me read this again. Psalm 73. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And I was thinking, ah, oh, yeah, this is garbage when I read that. Like, eh, fail. I'm about to go off myself. Then I kept reading. It says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, and their evil imaginations know no limits. These are exactly the people that I was envious of when I repented from following God. I turned away from Him. And I went to be like these people that I saw as having no problems, no struggles, no worries, and no cares, and having everything the world has to offer. Between the people at my high school, but then more than that, the people that I saw that were celebrities, that I'd structured my life around, being like. That's them. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. If you're in a club and anybody crosses them, you just kick them out. You know? Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. You ever listen to Kanye West talk? Hey, this is talking about him. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They got people that are fans. They're all these things and they got all these followers. That's them. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. They already got everything and they just get more and you want it. And he says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I had tried to follow Jesus when I was younger, even though I didn't fully believe in him. But it was a waste of my time because I was getting made fun of. And I wasn't getting the stuff that I wanted. I was the little kid in the checkout aisle throwing a fit. Um, all day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. That was life for me. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. I never really told anybody about what was going on. I just sort of did what I did. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God that I understood their final destiny. And what I didn't tell you guys is about verse 3, when I was reading this on my couch that day, I started blubbering crying. And I was reading it out loud, trying to get through reading it. Just blubbering crying like it just started welling up. And that same knowledge of a voice that had told me to go get my Bible started repeating over and over and over while I'm reading the scriptures. I love you. 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 And it wouldn't stop. And that really happened to me. Let me read the rest of this to you. He entered the sanctuary of God. By the way, that day I entered the sanctuary of God. And as I read the rest of this psalm, my whole perspective changed. Because just like Asaph began to see that these wicked people 
who he thought had everything, really were going to be in hot water if they didn't repent and turn to God, I started seeing this too. He says in verse 18, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, this may sound familiar to some of you CR folks, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Isn't that, is that top of one of the steps? Is it? Uh, I can't remember. I think it is. Um, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I what? Desire or want but you. How different is that? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell all of your deeds. Praise the Lord. changed that day. That didn't happen overnight. It was still a few years before, a couple of years at least, before I fully gave my life to Jesus. But that experience on my couch that day caused me to believe that there was a God and that He loved me and that this thing we call the Bible is something that we should take seriously. And I've never been the same. And uh, The change occurred for me, for me, when God helped me change what I wanted. And you guys need to understand that. Why are you in John 3.17? Why are you at CR? What do you want in life? What do you desire? Because if you just want to get sober, you don't really want any more than that, I would just as soon go to hell drunk. That calls us to much higher things than sobriety. And the cool thing about the gospel is it's not just about forgiveness of sin. It's about you becoming who God created you to be. And we sang in the song earlier, He meets us where we are. And that's true, God does meet us where we are. He loves you enough to meet you where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there where you are. He wants you to move toward Him. He wants you to not just repent of the sins that have led you into addiction. He wants to change your whole life. And create you to be this beautiful ray of light in a dark world. Amen. I don't recommend you go flip open the Bible 
and say, God, speak to me, and then say, I want to kill myself. You don't. I don't think this is normal, okay? Um, just say that's descriptive, not prescriptive. I want to be clear because I just like, after that happened, and I quit blubber, and I went and sat back down, and I was like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do That's how this thing works. I've been doing it wrong the whole time. And then I flicked it back open. It's like, what's he got to say to me now? And the next verse I saw said, do not test the Lord your God. <laughs> True story. Now, I didn't know, too, that my parents had gotten together uh, a couple of days before I had that experience and had a prayer meeting with their church group. Now, how many people did you have come to that? Was that just your small group or who was it? They had about 30 people at the downtown church in Searcy get together specifically to pray for me for God to do something because they had tried everything and they thought God just needs to interview me. And then that happens in my living room. Because I don't, I, I don't think that's normal though. And if you're wise... You don't have to be so hard-headed that you need something like that. Amen. Because I could have avoided a whole lot of pain and sorrow and heartbreak if I hadn't been so freaking hard-headed. So don't do that. But do do this. Change your desires. How many of you guys like wanting drugs and alcohol or food or whatever it is your struggle is? How many of you like wanting that stuff? None of us. How many of us do want that stuff from time to time? <clears throat> Just be honest. You have a craving from time to time. You have a bad day. You have a fight. You have whatever. Okay, yeah. There's still these desires in us sometimes. Guess what? Guess what you don't have control over? Sometimes you don't have control over what you desire. Sometimes I have a bad day and I still want to drink. Sometimes I have a bad day and I still want to get high. Sometimes I have a fight with Ariel and I'm going to go look at porn. There's all kinds of things I want from time to time. And guess what, guys? I wish I didn't want any of that stuff. I wish I didn't desire any of that stuff. But what I've come to realize is I can't help it. Sometimes I just can't help that I want these things. But you know what I can't help? Your actions. You're right. And I also can make the choice that my desire for God is going to be greater than my desire for these other things. You have the choice to make your desire for God greater than these other things. Don't make your desire for a healthy marriage. Don't make your desire for healthy children or a healthy family or that great job or that money or that career or any number of these things. Don't make that what you desire most. The blessing of life is found in relationship with God. Make Him what you desire most, and everything else will work itself out. Yes. Thank you.